0: following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned.
1: Live from our basement studios in suburban Chicago, it's that wine pod hey i am pete and my co-host sitting across from me the prosecco pugilist vino mike hello
0: everybody and happy new year happy new year
1: yeah 2020 this show is spanned multiple decades it has two decades now (laughs) <laughs> that we've been on this show. You know what I was thinking about? It, it feels like just yesterday we started this. I can't. <laughs> it feels like it, right? I, I was thinking about this too. Like 20 years ago, the Y2K scare. Yeah. Remember? Like we were all on edge. Yeah. What was going to happen? Are all the planes going to crash? Will we have any money?
0: Right, right. There's been some fun podcasts recapping. Uh, Fish played New Year's Eve in the Everglades. And that was kind of a, a theme was to be off the grid and somewhere remote and you don't have to worry about any of that stuff and uh yeah
1: we didn't really care about y2k at the turn of the millennium 20 years ago nice Um, if they were playing in the everglades did they do like their version of like crocodile rock are they crocs in the everglades or alligators i don't even know I don't know if it's both. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm going to go one of each. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just
0: go both. <laughs> <laughs> but they they were definitely on site and they had to, ten, you know, had to deal with that when they were setting up the grounds. It was on a, a Seminole Indian reservation out there also. Nice.
1: Um, it was pretty cool, but
0: Yes, Y2K. Now now what is it?
1: Uh, I well, we don't even want to get started with what all our problems are right now, yeah. 2019 into 2020. Yeah. But we're going to talk
0: about We'll get into it here. A
1: little bit of what happened in 2019, that's our that's our theme for today, Yeah, a little recap, year in review. But first, first, what's in that bottle?
0: All right. So in that bottle today, uh, we're starting the year off right here, Pete. Uh, we've got some bubbles. Oh, got to love the bubbly. These bubbles are from Italy. This is the wine of the year Who's that wearing? we're, we're going to start off with from the Wine Enthusiast. Oh. the The Wine Enthusiast does a top 100 list called the Enthusiast 100. And they picked this wine here that we're popping open, number one wine of the year, the Rustico, that's the brand name of it,
1: uh, Prosecco by Nino Franco. Oh, okay. So that's seems unusual that we'd see a, a Prosecco, kind of an everyday Prosecco. Oh, and it looks like. We had a little issue here with the opening.
0: Yeah, look, it's it's already kind of a, a little bit of a piece of junk. Like the wire cage, when I
1: was twisting it, it just
0: twisted right off. Ooh. So we got that off. So that's good.
1: That's good. And I'm glad that it didn't just pop open, like shoot you in the eye. No. Uh, now, see, that's a professional. I should have held that a little closer to the mic. I don't oh, know. Maybe, I, I could maybe, hear maybe it. Maybe I, that picked it I ho- up a Hopefully bit. it did. I could hear it. I, that's a professional opening, some bubbly right there. Just a little whisper, not a big pop.
0: That's right you don't you don't want the big pop. You definitely just want the little the little whisper. So you have a little uh, little rinse in the glass and a first taste.
1: Yeah. So, Mike, we're we're drinking out of big glasses. I I mean, we got to address that too, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, Champagne flutes they just don't do the wine justice. They're festive. They're fun. You see the bubbles shooting up them, things like that. You should really treat your bubbly like you treat your wine. Give it a nice home. A nice wine glass is really perfect, especially now we're just having some Prosecco here, but it's not just some Prosecco. It's the wine of the year Prosecco. But if you're having like a nice champagne, a nice grower champagne, a vintage champagne, even non-vintage champagne in a wine glass really unlocks the aromatics just like it does for wine. And you can really appreciate the flavors a lot more. So, but uh, yeah, so this got you know ninety four points. Whoa! From the wine enthusiast, and once again landed the number one spot of the wine of the year. So, it's pretty wide, you know, widely available. Uh, I found a bottle, and said this this has got it. This is going to be perfect to kick off the year, um, and go along with the theme of you know, kind of recapping twenty nineteen, including some of the top picks, the top wines from the various magazines and stuff like that.
1: So what did I just out of curiosity, price range of of this one? Sure. Actually the wine enthusiast quotes twenty bucks. Okay.
0: So and we we've got some data here for like the top 10 w- wines on this list, this took the number one spot, is well below the rest of the, the crowd, that's number, what I was number two through uh, 10. And what's interesting is the enthusiast also does a top 100 values of the year. Uh, I think those are $15 and under though, okay. where this one they quote 20. Now this was
1: 17 bucks.
0: That's, that's probably the typical retail for this wine, somewhere around the sixteen ninety nine
1: range or so. All right, so but, somewhere between seventeen and twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah,
0: give or take. Yeah, you shouldn't pay more than twenty if you are. You're probably at a specialty shop or uh, somewhere really off the beaten path. But um, this is a sub twenty uh, dollar Prosecco.
1: Yeah, I I find it interesting that they chose this wine. I mean, for sure, and can't wait to talk a little bit about what else was chosen. But this is a this is an older. Prosecco producer, 100 years, it says right on the neck. Yeah, so that,
0: and mm, interesting, 100-year anniversary, taking down the number one spot. Um, I mean, congratulations to the Franco family. But yeah, this was founded in 1919 by a gentleman named Antonio uh, Antonio Franco. Uh, following Antonio was Nino, and that's the name of the estate now, Nino Franco. And then I think there is a Silvio or Silvia that's doing it now, and one person prior to that. It's at least four generations since 1919 when this was founded. So, yeah, a hundred year old estate uh, located in Valdo Biadene, uh, which is your kind of home for the best quality Proseccos in Italy. You know, I think the Rustico overall is maybe one of the most recognized Prosecco names and brands out there. Interestingly enough, it was the first Prosecco I learned about. We used to pour this by the glass at Timponis. It was with Vindivino. Uh, ah, Vindivino. Back in the day. Yeah. And I remember having the Rustico as our, like, house Prosecco back when I was learning what Prosecco even is. So a uh, little bit of nerdy tech info for you. Okay, Prosecco. You can go ahead and refer to the grape as Prosecco if you want, but it's also it's called Glara. G-L-E-R-A. That's the name of this grape. It's 100%. And the difference between Prosecco and other sparkling wines that you want to really take note of is this is not fermented in the bottle. It is, it, the wine is fermented in stainless steel tanks, and the secondary fermentation that creates the bubbles is done in tank, the, called the cuvee close method. And basically what that means is you end up getting a little bit lighter style of sparkling wine. When it's fermented in the bottle, it's just a little bit more robust, fuller in terms of the bubbles, in terms of the sparkle and things like that. So
1: Nice and non-vintage or vintage on this guy?
0: This is it's a non-vintage bottling, but that's a great question. I I don't know how much of the fruit that goes into it is from one year versus a blend. So Yeah,
1: I I, I thought it was a non-vintage. Um they do they, they make they make some vintage. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Right? Um uh it's on the top of, tip of my tongue. There's the the one that Bevuma brings in. Balan? Balan. Yeah, the Balan is vintage dated. And that's the first Prosecco I've ever seen vintage dated. Now, there could be Proseccos made with all the fruit from the same harvest, but they're not going to put that on the label necessarily. Maybe it's a lot number or some other weird code that really doesn't stick out to the consumer. But yeah, the Balan is vintage dated. But for the most part, Prosecco is just as fresh as, as can be and, and non-vintage dated.
1: I guess what I was really curious about, I, I was excited to taste this, right? Just knowing how much wine enthusiasts loved it. And I was very curious how it kind of differed because this is something that I've had consistently over the past 15 years, you know, of drinking wine. To me, it was always very, it was always good, right? It was always a very solid choice. And I was wondering like, would this one really, really stand out? compared to, you know, thirteen or fourteen other vintage non vintage, but years that I had tasted of it. Of this particular yeah, wine. Of this particular wine.
0: Yeah, it'd be fun to somehow try that and, you know, have a vertical where it's all fresh, right? But
1: I, I doubt it. I doubt it too. Cause that I mean part of the point of these wines is to be fairly ubiquitous, right? We've you've, you've talked about it, right? It's Coca Cola, right? And there's sixty thousand cases of this stuff made. Right. It's not an artisan wine. Right. It's widely available. It, they're not going to really run out of this one because when they do, it's non-vintage. They'll just bring whatever's next. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just 60,000, 60,000, 60,000. And it's just kind of constantly. And they don't even have a, I didn't see a lot number on here.
0: No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, there's a little something on the UPC here l nineteen one three six. Oh, okay. So they've got some um, so sort that, of code. That, that could Some be sort of lock code. 19, 2019, I'm not sure. Imported by Terlato. I think it was around maybe 2013 or so that, that Terlato took over this um, estate as far as being the importer into, uh, into the United States. All right. All that said, what do you think of it? Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here tasting it and I, I mean, it's quite nice. I, I can't wrap my head around giving this wine- a massive score in terms of going into the mid upper nineties. And I can't wrap my head around this being like the number one pick for 2019. I'd really love to know kind of how, how that happened, but it is quite nice. It, I, so lots of like springtime flowers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful citrus notes. There's, you know, really fresh, like, you know, pear,
1: a little more pear than apple yeah. to me. Uh, it, creamy almost on the mouth too which I think is a little bit unusual for this I don't remember that kind of that kind of creaminess (laughs) I'm not sure I could keep saying that (laughs) but creamy creamy um I'm just not sure I remember that this one being such a lush mouthfeel yeah I mean so maybe it is a little different from that perspective it's it's tasty
0: and you know long finish you know pretty bright acidity but not like screaming crazy high you might you might not need to clean your microphone today. <laughs> uh, um, overall, I mean, I think it's a well-balanced wine. Some really nice flavors in there. Just for prosecco, I mean, prosecco simple. This is like Sunday brunch, um, casual drinking. Take it to a BYOB. Maybe it's your starter wine. You don't even remember it by the end of the evening, kind of a thing. So to get all this attention and spotlight in this in this top list now. If if you don't mind, we can go through the other.
1: Yeah, so I think I think one of the things that we want to talk about is the proliferation of top one hundred lists. Sure. Early on, it was Wine Spectator, right, and now we've got Spectators got more than one list. Uh, wine Enthusiast has several lists. They do have several. James Suckling has, I believe, eight hundred and thirty-two top one hundred lists now.
0: It's now up to eight hundred and thirty-seven. Oh, wow.
1: I mean, that guy. Seriously, he's got a top 100 for everything. I'm it's waiting wild. for the top 100. You know, uh, Idaho wines. I've I've got these written down here. Oh, his his top 100. Oh, lists. you do? Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we won't dissect each one because no, no. that. Oh my god. No, that's an, that's an episode. <laughs> that's an episode. So let's uh, yeah enlighten us on what else was going on in the 20. So 2019 top 100 for wine enthusiasts. You're going to talk about the top 10 or so.
0: Yeah, let's let's uh we'll brush through the top ten here real quick just because we have the rustico that okay. we're drinking. It's cool. wine number one. Uh so yeah, quoted at, at twenty bucks. Wine number two, getting a score of ninety eight points, is a great, great bottle. Uh William Selium Pinot Noir. Um two thousand and seventeen uh Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. Legendary producer. Oh not surprised to see that on anybody's top top list, top wine of the year. But Massive 98 points, you know, coming in at 39 bucks. It's just the regular Sonoma Coast bottling. Number three, we've got a classic chateauneuf de pape from Domaine de la Genasse. Uh, this earned 99 points. This is the 2016 Vail Vine, And now we're at like 116 bucks a bottle.
1: You know, Mike, I just want to give one quick thing. Mm-hmm. And I meant to say it right away, but... So I want to just give a, a, a warm... Um our warm condolences, his, right? Our our complete condolences to the, the Williams Sellium winery because yeah. the founder, Burt Williams, Bert. died about a week ago, right? Not too long ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um it, it wasn't too long ago at all. So, you know, that's that's a big I mean, he was a legend. Yep. <laughs> so it was a, it was a big just a big story and well, we could go when we're recording. So it's a few weeks by the time that episode comes out.
0: Yeah. You know, right. Exactly. But it was, it was recently yeah. and uh, definitely a big name. And this was one of the first, you know, big name producers I learned about just in the wine business. You, you know, you hear about William Sellum and, um, great, great wines. Uh, um, so it's nice to nice to see them land a, a top spot, yeah, on yeah. the top list. That was with, pretty cool. With just their their regular Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir, not a single vineyard. Like they do some phenomenal single vineyard wines, and those of course get much pricier. So if you can find the Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir for more than one reason, you know, number two, paying homage to Bert, you know, number two on the enthusiast list. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons to track track down a bottle of William Selium, um and try one of those wines, especially if you've never
1: done it. Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, that's okay. So. Number four, we've got a Riesling now from the Clare Valley in Australia, earning 96 points, uh, called Grosse, uh, their Polish Hill Riesling. Uh, number five, Classic Rioja, Cune. Uh, their 2011 Imperial Gran Reserva took the number five spot with 97 points. Number six on the list was a Barbaresco, and this is Adriano, Marco, and Vittorio. I, I don't know that producer. I don't know what either. Um, but anyway, Barbaresco, let's see. Number seven, ooh, the Massican. Um, The Massican is it the Anya? White Blend, 2018. They're getting a lot of great press. Yeah, Well-deserved.
1: Well-deserved. Yeah, well That's a great winery. If you've never checked out Massacin, highly recommend if you can grab a bottle
0: or two. Awesome producer. This these, this producer is out of Napa Valley, and they're doing re- like really badass wines. This White Blend kind of pays homage to Italy to Friuli. It's forty percent tokai with forty, roughly forty percent Rebola Gialla and then some Chardonnay rounding it out. From Napa Valley. Like that's just yeah, wild. It's crazy. And they're 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 tec- they're texturally wonderful. The flavors are great. Those are those are really cool wines. So yeah, for sure well deserved. Then let's see, number eight we got Quinta de Val de Miao, their Doro Red. Great, great Douro port producer. Um, earning 98 points, the the Doro red here, and that guy's coming in you know, around 100 bucks or so. And then number nine, a great Riesling by Fritz Hogg, 2007, Brown Brownberger uh, Juffer Riesling, Oeschlesa Grosslage. So that's a that's a handful to say, but this is this is definitely a great producer, top vineyard site in Germany. That's a whole other episode too. Right? You need like a doctorate a, to figure out Riesling. That's right. But that that one comes in around forty-four bucks, and then number ten, Austin Hope Cabernet Sauvignon in two thousand and seventeen from Paso Robles, earning its um, typical ninety-five point rating. Joe Wagner disciple. There we go. All right. So overall, I think that's a pretty you know fair, cool, diverse top 10 list we've got barbaresco we've got chateauneuf to pop legendary um pinot noir producer from california rioja very classic rioja germany a cool maybe off the beaten path portugal red wine and then prosecco yeah how how in the fuck did this get i don't know the rating it got and you know and i first of all i just got to say for all of these lists If we put all these wines in a deck of cards and just shuffled the deck again, and here's your number one through 100, I think it all kind of comes out the same.
1: Agreed. And I think that some top 100 lists hold more weight. So I think Spectator's top 100 list overall holds more weight. They got to be the king. And theirs is so much more, it's so much different. So I pulled that one up real quick just to kind of give a compare and contrast. Their top 10 wines, the lowest price on theirs came in. At number three, a $36 uh, Chianti Classico from 2016, which is the 2016 vintage in Tuscany. Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Just ridiculous. And if you can grab yourself... Anything, really, from 2016 out of Tuscany, I think you're going to be doing very well for yourself. Pretty much can't go wrong. Because that, that vintage, just everything top to bottom, fucking delicious, right? But they have much more old school names this year. I actually thought I might have been le- reading a list from the 80s when I first took a glance at this one. Yeah. Number one, label, Barton. Classic. Classic, right? Just so. 20, 2016. Again, 2016 Bordeaux. Another. On, actually, 2016 Worldwide. Worldwide, like Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> the 2016 Vintage Worldwide was really good, mm-hmm. Over, you know, overall. Northern Hemisphere, in particular, was absolutely spectacular. Just pretty much everywhere. Right. Right. So you had that, and then you had Myakamas coming in at number two. Old school name, right? So a Mount Veeder Cabernet, so Napa Valley Mount Veeder, uh, number two. That's a $125 bottle, according to Spectator. Yep. And then you get another... Now you're at Chianti Classico, right? Saying Gisto Rentinano. Rentanano. Never had it. Never had it either. And then we're back to Napa. Now we're in Oakville, Groth Reserve, cab. And now we're going to stay in California, but we're going to go to Anderson Valley, the producer of Cristal Rotorer. They've got their um, Le Hermitage, so kind of their flagship bottling. That comes in at five. Now we're going back to France. Little Chateau to Pop, twenty sixteen from Castel back to Napa. So you see a pattern here overall, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of California, a lot of French, right? So you got rainy Chardonnay. So now we're getting into our first white at number seven. Whereas there was a lot of sparkling in white. I felt at least three right right away in the enthusiast top ten. Yeah, yeah. A couple of
0: Rieslings, the Prosecco. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're gonna now go back to the Mass again. Right. We're going to go back to uh, Bordeaux and we're going to go to Pichon-Baron. So now we've got another one of those. And then something a little surprising here. And by the way, that's a $176 bottle of Bordeaux. Yeah. Penfolds hits in here with their 2017 Shiraz RWT bin 798. And that's a $150 bottle. And remember, if you're going to buy this... Just keep in mind, some people have problems with uh, the stealth enclosures, the screw caps. All those are going to be in screw cap. Every single one. Every single one of them. So it's interesting, right? Yeah. That's number nine. And then closing out the top 10 is the Alma Viva from uh, Chile. And that's an expensive bottle of Chilean red, the Puente Alto at $130. So just enormous price tags for the top 10 of the wine spectator, a lot of old school stuff, a couple of a couple of interesting ones thrown in. What got me on this list, we happen to be, I, I know you and I both have a big affinity for these Central Coast wines, and coming in at number 20 was Sons Liege The Offering.
0: Oh, nice, that's right, forgot about that. Yeah,
1: and so I absolutely love that they have that, but you've gotta get way deep in their list to come up with $20 to $30 bottles of wine you got it, at number 29, there's a, a $15 bottle Petra. But my point being that these are expensive bottles, expensive bottles in that top 10 mm-hmm. and much more rare than what you saw overall in that top 10 of the- From the enthusiast. The, the enthusiast. And I haven't done this, but I wonder if there's overlap at any of these lists.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It'd be worth um, spending some time and seeing if they're- how much yeah. if any there is. I just um, I
1: just thought of it, which just shows our lack of preparation. We could have easily done this, but uh, we could even hit pause and do it, but we're not going to. no, so uh, but it's it's an interesting list. and there's I like, like I'm curious about it. But, yeah, yeah, not that curious, right? <laughs> but you get some really interesting wines later in the list that are less expensive, like wines of substance Cabernet 2017 from mm-hmm. Washington. That's the Charles Smith project. You've got the Marquesi di Barolo Barbera coming in at like right after that at 13 bucks. So you do get some values. And before we get to to, to suckling, one other thing I want to talk about just briefly. I felt as a wine retailer, and I don't know how these top 100 lists impact restaurants, right? You would have a better idea of that than me. But as a retailer, I felt if the wine was outside the top 10, it might as well have not been on the list. Right. It, it it was like oh it was number one hundred, yeah number one hundred out of seventeen thousand wines or whatever they tasted yeah yeah I mean that might number might be big but at least out of several thousand wines like it's in the top one percent of one percent of one percent right yeah and people are like oh well it's number one hundred right well so I don't know what the value is of being on these lists outside of the top ten.
0: Well, here's the number one wine of the year from the Wine Enthusiast. And again, why like widely available. And I went into one of our massive chains here that is really close by where I live. And there it was just chilling out on the shelf, right? This number, like the number one wine of the year. It's just hanging out. And they had the, the price tag was on the shelf. It had just a little, like you needed a... You know, magnifying glass to read that it said 94 points wine enthusiast with the review and the number one wine of the year. Like there was no large signage calling attention to it. And I think if you did have that, it would, that's where these wines drum up a little bit of excitement on the retail level. Like I don't think anyone's going to care about wine number 87 that is, you know, 50 bucks a bottle, but if it's 25 20 you know certainly under 20 bucks and it's got the signage for it i i think that does tend to lead a consumer to want to want to buy that wine it it sticks out
1: yeah um, and i guess the other piece of this is i don't understand the criteria
0: that I, go I behind
1: either. it right I, to me i wish it was a more transparent process mm-hmm. and i the example that i can that i look at is in this year's list number 6 chateau de Beau, Beaucastel, Chateauneuf-du-Pape, 2016, 97 points, $107, right? That's a great wine, great producer, 97 points, 2016, 107 bucks. If you scroll down to number 89 in their list, Rotem & Mounir, I don't know how to say this, but either way, there's a Chateauneuf-du-Pape, Omnia, 2016, 2016, 97 points, $107, why is one number six and one is number 89? Exactly. I and have no clue. That That's that's exactly
0: what I mean, why you can just reshuffle the list yeah. and have a whole new exciting top number, you know, number one, top 10. Like it, it will all just, it'll be fine. I mean, if you can put Prosecco as the number one wine of the year, then you can put
1: whatever the Charles Smith substance could be the wine of the year. Yeah. And here's my last dig, and then we can, we can talk Suckling's 80 lists and then get to the, ne- the rest of 2019. Keep moving through, sure. Yeah. My other, my other thing is both enthusiast and spectator take advertising dollars from wineries. Yeah, they sure do. How, how does that impact their top, top 100 list? It's got to somehow. I, I mean, they're going to say it doesn't. But as, all right, maybe I'm cynical, but I, I would have to think that it absolutely has to. Anyway, I just yeah. wanted to point out that they're taking advertising dollars and then creating these lists. To mm-hmm. to me, they, that that credibility is a little lost. Yeah, so you got to take this with a grain of salt. All right. Um, I think there are
0: some great recommendations, and maybe it will expose people to some wines they've never had before. And there there's there's plenty of positivity with these lists. Oh, absolutely. But the whole ranking. Yeah. Um. You you can't get caught up with like it's in the top ten or or not because exactly what you just said with the shout of to pops you know
1: right and I think that we kind of utilize or see those rankings very similar to how we see scores right. which are you know just kind of there as a marker. Yep. All right. So. Tell us a little about suckling. What's going on over there?
0: Yeah, well, you know, these other wine spectator, wine enthusiasts, they do a handful of lists. Um, the enthusiast, by the way, does a top one hundred cellar selections, right? Um, and and that gets pretty serious. They they actually have a Bordeaux as wine number two on that list, the Ponte Canet which is 100 points. So lots of lots of old world in these top 10 lists, by the way. They do a uh, top 100 spirits and a uh, top 100 best values and then top 25 beers. So that's the wine enthusiast right there.
1: I don't worry, beer gets short shrift, but okay. So
0: not bad. I don't really, you know, I think doing a cellar selection and an enthusiast 100, it's a little bit weird. I'd like to see them just combine those two and have a little bit of the best of both worlds. Yeah, more, more marketing. Sure. So then you get over to James Suckling and I could just see James who was employed at the wine spectator for a number of years where he started his career. I could see him go into the meeting saying, Hey guys, I think we should have more top 100 lists. And everyone always year after year telling him, no, no, we can't do that. No. And he finally went out on his own, making a name for himself, uh, writing reviews on, However, many hundreds of thousands of wines that that he um, that he does, and he has come out with his own top 100 lists. JamesSuckling.com. You can find the top 100 wines of the year. You can find the top 100 wines of Austria. Okay. He has a top 100 list of Germany, a top 100 list of USA, the top 100 wines of Argentina. The Top 100 Wines of Spain. These are all individual lists that you can click on. Top 100 Wines of Chile. The Top 100 Wines of New
1: Zealand. Wow. Sauvignon oh. Blanc, Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot right. Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir.
0: I, I mean, I, we, <laughs> to have the time to
1: read all these lists, uh,
0: it, you know, it'd be a lot, of, a lot of fun, but very time consuming. But yeah, that one exactly. Then you got the Top 100 Wines of Australia. The top 100 wines of France, the top 100 wines of Italy. I don't know if he's done yet, but the, the last one on his website is the top 100 wines of
1: Alsace. Also, so he. So he, here's a, all right.
0: Alsace, a sub-region of France, for those that don't know, he has a top 100 wines of but like, not, not a top 100 like Bordeaux. Like a region of France. Not top 100 Bordeaux. Oh, Maybe there is. Maybe I overlooked it. I don't know. Top 100 but Rhone. I just clicked on the top 100 list for him. And, so that's uh, like a dozen. Maybe there's more coming out. But you know we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10,
1: 11, 12. So he's got a dozen top 10 lists. I, I wonder if some of that is driven by wines of giving him some sort of advertising dollar. And saying, hey, t- write a top 100 list. I would think that, that would have to be disclosed, though. I would think so. That would I would think. I mean, as a journalist, I would think you would have to disclose that. So maybe that's an unfair assessment. However, I do believe it's strange to have a dozen top 100s. Although maybe... All right, Mike, I'm going to rethink this. Maybe it's a good thing. Because now, if I love Austrian wine, I'm hardly ever going to see more than one maybe two in a good year austrian wines and anybody else's top 100 list yeah but i want to know more austrian wines i guess the the problem i have is like just
0: don't don't call it a top 100 list just say like the here's 100 wines to try from austria exactly the the my favorite wines of austria for 2019 or yeah, you because know, I'm all for what you're saying is like this is a cool opportunity for consumers to dive in and maybe learn about new wines or get top recommendations from areas that they already are interested in.
1: yeah, because I would love to see somebody uh, let's let's say Jeb Dunnick, right, who does a ton of reviews in the Central coast of California. Yeah. I'd love to see a list of wines from him to try without me having to sort through all of the reviews. In every issue that he comes out with. Now, granted, there's titles on them, right? But I still, I'd like you to consolidate a little bit for me and tell me, hey, tr- go. and I'm not sure it needs to be 100. Right. Here's 20 things yeah. to go try, yeah, right? Top
0: 25 or not top, but just my favorite 25, yeah. whatever whatever you want to call it. It just, it just doesn't always need to be tied to a score and a ranking.
1: Right, right, right. I, I mean, I like that part of it, maybe. And maybe even 2020, we'll see some of that start to happen. I would hope, but... In the meantime, we would love to hear from anybody listening what your favorite wines of 2019 were. You don't have to give it a score. You don't even have to rank them. We just want to hear a little bit from you about what did you love? Did anything for you this year really stand out? I mean, we didn't prep this question. so <laughs> Yeah, for me
0: personally, I had a, um, I'm going to struggle to remember the name of it right now. Um, but it was a it was a great champagne that I had for my birthday. It's uh, I believe it's a Louis Dresner import. I can't believe I'm blanking on it right now, but that it was really great. Uh, I never had that producer before. Also, yeah, that was pretty. You have to you
1: <laughs> You'll have to find that, and we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, let's do. You it. know, once you find it. Yeah, for for me, I was really really into Washington and Central Coast California this year. So for me, it was a, a really fun time overall. Just trying to explore the different wines from from there, and one of uh, my favorites of the year was uh, it was I'm not even sure if it was going to be available outside the Chicago market, but it was a collaboration by Valia and Russell Fromm hmm. And uh, called Diamonds in Space. Oh, yeah. Right. And nice. that was just uh, such a fun wine. It was like 50 percent cab and 50 temper I want to say it was such an unusual blend with two winemakers who I, I mean, they're both great winemakers in their own right. They happened to be married. Desperado wines and Herman Story wines kind of coming together, and you you have two different styles that came together in one bottle that you could taste each of them. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah, because they're two very different wine yeah. like winemakers in terms of the style and yeah. everything.
1: Yeah, so it was just a lot of fun. So I, I mean, I know we keep kind of it feels like almost like plugging Central Coast, but it, I think every year for me in wine, like I try tons and tons of stuff, but I end up kind of concentrating on a region or two. To learn more about we took a trip to Washington not long ago, yeah, and then you know the Central Coast just I really got into it, yeah, and it was it was fun, mm-hmm. it was really fun, and it's unusual for me because I typically explore regions that are more in the old world, yeah, so and I'm glad that I have explored regions in the old world because that brings us to another subject that I really think we should touch on, which is tariffs twenty nineteen so we saw fires in California again, right? Mm-hmm. So the fires keep happening in California. It seems to be kind of an every other year almost that yeah. we get a big fire. And it's so devastating yeah. for them. And we recap that on an earlier episode on why. Mm-hmm. So we won't get deep into that. But tariffs to me have been the story. Right. Especially here late in 2019. So I'm going to give a quick, if it's all right with you, a quick kind of recap of what we're talking about. Yeah, please do. All right, so we have this 25% tariff that went into effect on wines from the UK, Mm -hmm. Spain, France, and Germany. There were exemptions. If your wine was over 14% or if it was sparkling, it was exempted from this 25% tariff. So interesting. Right? Why did we have this tariff? Well, it was actually, oddly, it was more in retaliation for what... What the United States saw as unfair subsidies to, um, an airline, yeah, Airbus, Airbus, right? right? Yeah, and it's just weird, right, that one has to do with the other, but it happens, you know. So the so that's the fact, and the World Trade Organization actually ruled that hey, the EU was do, giving improper subsidies to Airbus, and so they it had to pay some fine i think that you did but the us saw that okay now we can kind of slap some tariffs on and so they did right and that was a little bit painful but not as much as people thought it was going to be just because quite a few wines are over 14% these days that just they just are and a lot of sparkling so all the champagne and english sparklings become kind of a hot category Yeah, and it they were exempt now though here late and and recent has been this threat of a 100% tariff on all wines yeah broadening the from field now. the Europe from basically from the EU from the EU like right. Italy was exempt right from the
0: original from right. the 25% right. and for the most part the 25% tariff has kind of been swallowed by a lot of the importers and distributors and wineries all sort of taking their own, swallowing their their own medicine here, like taking taking a cut of that tariff in order to not pass it along to the consumer. So I think the consumer, they heard about the tariffs, but nothing really happened until now. As far as like something happening drastically to the consumer and the the in-the-middle people, this threat, if it actually moves forward and
1: happens, would really impact a
0: lot of people in a very negative way
1: oh yeah i mean we have of course in our feeds our social feeds a lot of people in the wine industry at all levels right we have consumers we have retailers restaurateurs we have distributors we have importers right and wineries right Mm -hmm. they're all in our feed and they are losing their shit
0: yeah yeah i mean when it comes down to something like this or just everyone's on the same
1: team right So what's interesting are a couple of things, right? Like I've read a lot of articles on this and a lot of well-written blog posts and people that have sent, that have posted like their letter to the trade representative, uh, which you can still do. Uh, I think public comments stay open until January 13th of 2020. Okay. And you can send in kind of your opinion to the, to the trade representative and let them know. And we'll post a link in the show notes if you want to go ahead and do that.
0: That's a great, a great call. And you know, the vino Mike stance is please do that. Um, please let them know how opposed and what a terrible idea you think this is. Um, I've done that.
1: Have you done that yet, Pete? No, I haven't. And I, I think that my take is going to piss a lot of people off. Okay. The fact is that it's a lot of talk. So a lot of the stuff that I've read is like this, like this is happening. Like it's real. Yeah. No, it's it's not real. And and hold on. Hold on. There's literally headlines. The wine tariff is real. Yeah. That's it's not. Okay. So this administration says, and I don't want to get into politics, right? But we kind of have to, when we're talking about tariffs, but I'm not going to give an opinion in general about anything. But the fact is this administration says a lot of shit. They say a lot and it doesn't always happen. This is a huge tariff and it is a huge deal. I do believe that people should let their let their opinion be known. I happen to be a little bit more neutral just because I don't think it's going to happen. Right now, I don't know like how that impact would be cuz that, that is a it's not just wine, it's all kinds of food and mm-hmm. I mean, people could just be devastated on both sides of the Atlantic. Yep. In terms of what's going on. So I can't I would hope Hope that cooler heads prevail at some point to not let this happen. What people don't realize is that right now in China there's a hundred and six percent tariff on U.S. wine into China. Has that killed the U.S. wine industry? No, I don't know how much U.S. wine went to China, but the fact is that they found other avenues. The the Chinese are buying a lot of European wines right now. Right? Mm-hmm. There's other avenues. I think it will hurt here. Way more, though. The one part that I fully agree with, I think it will hurt domestic wineries way more than the administration or the trade representative may realize.
0: Absolutely. Because when there's less
1: choice, it's bad for all of us. Yeah.
0: And domestic wine isn't necessarily, I mean, value, you know, comparing Europe to the United States overall, Europe offers the better value. Yeah. It does. Like overall, European wine, you can get far more really well-made wines from Europe for under 20 bucks a bottle than I think you can find domestically.
1: Right. right. And if that... And those same wines at 40 bucks are not the... If, they're not if a If your
0: $15 Cote now costs you
1: 30, it, it's just impossible. Right. Yeah. I I think the other piece of this that... The un, the law of unintended consequences, there will be less distributors, so therefore, if there's less distributors, there's less places for wines to be found in a market. And it has to happen if the, because they will have nothing coming in from overseas. You know, And some, some of those distributors will just go out of business. One, we've got a, a dear friend who's got an unbelievably awesome portfolio that's the vast, vast majority Italian wines. Yeah. I, I don't know how he could survive if that happens
0: yeah him and so many others like him right i mean that would that's that's the scariest part to this whole thing is real people that have poured their blood sweat and tears into their business kind of here's a guy from italy right right like the american dream you know he's an entrepreneur he has his own company he does everything by the book Right, uh, right. Pays the taxes. Yep. All, everything you have to do, which is a serious pain in the ass. Yeah, like, like to. It's like highly, eat. highly regulated. It, it's a uh, you know, it's a passion and and a love that that he does this. You don't just open up an importer and distributor company to get rich. Oh, God no. So for someone, for some of these small family owned businesses, it, it would destroy them. Right. There, there's just I, I don't know what kind of creative avenues. Uh, I don't know how they. They band together somehow. I, I have no idea. I don't have any solution if this even happens, right? Like, right. it's still just a threat. And I I wholeheartedly agree with you that it's a little too much hype. Yes. But at the same time, the the thought of this happening is so bad that it's starting to, you know, get yeah. people a little bit crazy.
1: Right. And, and I, I want to make it clear, I'm not for this tariff no, at, of at all, right? I, I think this is really stupid. It, it's just dumb. Because we can't start tit-for-tatting on this level, right? Because that's not like a little bit of a... It's not a little nudge. This is an all-out trade war at that point. And I also think that the hype... It's easy for me to say that it's been way too hyped up. I'm not the one with my livelihood and my family income at stake. So I, to make it clear, like I don't think it's a good idea. And I get why there's the hype. I just have trouble with... in the. Day and age of social media, of everything, like this has gone viral within the wine community. I just see hyperbole everywhere. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that hyperbole matched with the hyperbole of 100% tariff makes for a good conversation. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Yep. That's so anyway. But tariffs, bad. Yeah. In this case,
0: in this case, very bad. Right. Again, the first, the 25% tariff that went into effect, I don't think anyone is really feeling that at the consumer yeah. level. This one, like you're not the consumer is going to get hurt right. because any of the wine that does make it over you're going to be paying an arm and a leg for compared to what it normally should be and the other part is a lot of these wines simply won't make it over
1: right and i'm going to do a little economics 101 for for people that if we don't have that choice of those value wines the ones in california will go up in price the the other wines you love go up in price why because there's less there's going to be less supply Mm -hmm. and the demand will wane maybe a little bit, but not nearly as much. And so prices will rise all over the place. And that's just not good. So we're not, I don't know, this is a bad, a bad road. And I'm just hoping that they figure this, this shit out. But if you want to make your voice known, we will, like I said, put it in the show notes. So
0: yeah, please, please do uh, leave some comments. We'll put links on our social feed as well. Um, and make sure that you, uh, you go ahead and let, let them know why this is a bad idea.
1: Yeah. All right. So that does, that that takes care of tar- the tariffs. And I want to go to a few less serious yes, things please. for 2019 to kind of a lightning round to close out this episode. All right. Let's lighten the mood just like this Prosecco. Yeah. Well, light and bubbly. Well, but Robert Parker retires. Robert Big.
0: Parker. Bobby. 86 Robert Parker.
1: 86 Robert Parker <laughs> and Michelin guides buys the entire publication of the wine advocate. Well, you know, as can, he retires,
0: congrats to Bob, a little, yeah, a little, yeah, a little toast, a little cheers. Chin. Um, very influential person on the wine industry, I think has done more good than harm. Oh, by far, um, by far. And, and by harm, I, I just think, you know, some of the, parkerization of parkerization of wine has gotten out of control in little sectors of the industry but by no means has it completely ruined the entire world of wine
1: no no all right something else fun that happened we sent a uh, well somebody sent i'm not even sure who it was but somebody sent a case of red bordeaux up to the international space station to age up in space and we're going to compare after a year or so, maybe two—I can't remember exactly—but either way, we're going to compare the aging in space compared to the aging here on Earth. That's awesome. That's just fun. Yeah. I feel here is what I kind of feel bad about, though. You've got this case of Bordeaux sitting on the ISS. You can't open it. Those poor <laughs> astronauts—they're sitting there going, "Those motherfuckers couldn't send thirteen bottles. <laughs> I can't get anything here. Come right. on." So that uh, I think that was kind of fun. That's very cool. I, I kind of hope it that the
0: wine sucks. Because if it ages really well, then everyone's going to want, you know, storage in, I you know, on the ISS. Whole new business
1: model. <laughs> and, you know, we'll be terraforming Mars just to grow, <laughs> just to grow grapes and... Yeah. Uh, store wine you know, you for, know. for only twenty thousand dollars per month right. get your uh twelve bottle locker on <laughs> well they have those spirits that go around on a ship right that that get aged on a ship right and the, now you could just send up your your stuff into space it's just you know they can go with the new space force <laughs> our new branch of, of the military that's coming uh all right so what else happened oh man waiter speaking this mm. That story is one of the, I think, the more fun ones of the year. Interesting, right? So
0: this happens all the time, all the time. But this particular story that you're about to talk yeah. about just takes the cake. Yeah.
1: All right. So a waiter gets an order for a great wine, right? The The couple orders or whoever's there. I think it was a couple. Orders a bottle of the Chateau Pichon Longueville. Mm-hmm. About a $350-ish bottle of wine. The waiter, he pours a bottle of... Chateau Lepin, $5,700 wine.
0: Big difference. Oops. So that's a cult right bank Bordeaux. Yeah. Pomerol, I believe, or Saint-Emilion. Oh, uh, good question. I think it's Pomerol. Lepin, P-I-N. Uh, very culty wine, very expensive. You know, one of the garagiste producers. Uh, one of these small producers, literally making wine in a garage, that then ends Pomerol. up being being extremely, extremely expensive. So this this one comes from Pomerol. It's very collectible, very hard to find, and yeah, six thousand bucks. Dude, how would you feel? I would feel like a dumbass. <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly, I mean, you you need to know a little bit more. I could understand opening up. Something that is a little bit closer to Pichon Longville than Le Pen. I mean, that's that's just kind of blind.
1: Yeah, it was like an 01. The pin was 01. Yeah,
0: yeah. I remember reading about this and thinking, how in the heck does that happen?
1: So, what, well, but uh, I, the, the best part of this to me, and this is yeah. the part that I love about the story the owner of the restaurant went on Twitter to forgive the ma- the restaurant manager who did this mm-hmm. for, to forgive her that's awesome I, I class act because it is a mistake yeah right we all make them so to me that was kind of heartwarming you mm-hmm. know I I really like that yeah so kind of a kind of interesting and uh, two two more to just brush on real quick let's do it I think that the Supreme Court decision is big for shipping we will see consumer retailer shipping um it is a def- definitely a big deal. Uh we'll see how that impacts other parts of the industry, but that's a that's a big one. Yeah. About Mad-
0: massive game changer and really interesting that the tariffs are coming along at the same right. time as this. Yeah. That I mean talk about, you know, if if shipping opened up, you know, statewide without any kind of penalties, and at the same time these tariffs actually happened. I I mean that's that's a wash to me. <laughs> right. Know? Right. I I geez Louise. It would be right. just terrible. So but yeah. this is such a good thing for the for the industry, I think, for the industry and for the consumer uh to be able to um ship wines. Yeah. I agree. From state to state retailer to consumer we're talking about. Right. Right.
1: All right. All right. Well, and one last thing I want to talk about industry consolidation and the continued rise of the billion dollar companies kind of swallowing up brands and bigger, bigger kind of entities kind of swallowing up uh, popular wines. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It, if you want to go and buy a bat, like a Louis Vuitton handbag. Yeah. I think I've got the right kind of things that they might sell Louis Vuitton. Yeah. So it's, I don't know if everybody knows this, but the, the same company that owns Louis Vuitton owns Moet Hennessy. That's right. It's LVMH. LVMH. And they bought a big share in the country, I think the world's hottest rosé, Whispering Angel. Mm. So now they own, so you can buy your handbag with maybe a bottle of Whispering Angel in it. In it, right? right. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it's interesting, right? You're seeing luxury goods and you're seeing wine in that same luxury good uh, category, right? Another one speaking of Washington wineries, which I talked about earlier, Owen Rowe that was uh, sold to the private equity vintage wine estates mm. so we saw that happen this year uh, We also saw Mulderbosch get sold okay to a billion dollar uh, private equity fund called Third Leaf okay so another a big one um, it's a great producer in South Africa yeah uh, Ron Bauer Big, kind of a big brand, uh, big big Chardonnay, especially uh, yeah. around here. We people can't get enough. That's right. It's it's book club book club crack. Um, they bought Renwood. It's Karen's so favorite. It's Karen's favorite. <laughs> they bought Renwood, huh? They bought Renwood, and then the last one is kind of a big one. So another private equity, Sapphire Capital. I don't. I think it's Sapphire. S A P H I R. They bought Cheval Blanc. And Chateau Akem. Wow. So legendary Bordeaux mm-hmm. producers uh swallowed up by private equity. So you're seeing this, and I think you're gonna continue to watch. Oh, and I didn't even mention the probably the biggest one of all was where um Constellation bought the wine, uh the majority of its wine brands, uh sold the majority of its wine brands to E and J. Gallo. Oh, wow. For one Point one billion dollars that's it huh yeah so i think that the price was higher and then the wines did so shitty that it came down like five or six hundred grand in the sale price uh because constellation has decided they're going all in on the ganja
0: they are they their uh ceo um just got put into a position with uh what, what is that company in canada they're like the leading company for um for marijuana cultivation.
1: I don't know, but I hear marijuana causes memory loss. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, uh, <laughs> how would you know that? I, I don't know uh, the name of the firm. I didn't. Um, Canadian. No, but there's,
0: uh, you know, Shankin, uh, Marvin Shankin of the Wine Spectator does a weekly uh, insider email blast on the cannabis industry. And they just had a big article out on the top kind of companies okay and where they're where they're trending in terms of their stock value and things like that
1: oh okay and
0: then that just coincided but with with this constellation they they moved somebody high up ceo or
1: i got canopy how about canopy growth corp that might be it that's uh i don't know i didn't find the story i just found yeah. that that's the that's the biggest by revenue in canada um but
0: basically their like constellation is it looks like from the outside that they are positioning themselves to eventually kind of go all in and maybe take over this company. Cause I think the company wasn't performing well and they're going to sink their resources into it to put it on the, uh, a different trajectory.
1: Yeah. So, but that's yeah. interesting. And
0: yeah. I mean, constellation we're talking about massive brands
1: like the prisoner and Mayomi for starters for starters. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So I mean, a big year, mm-hmm. big year. I, I, I maybe we should do a 2020 preview episode too. Big, big close to the decade. Right? Yeah, um, yeah.
0: 2020 preview. I, I think it's going to be exciting, and there's going to be a lot to talk about uh, as it as it unfolds. Probably kicking off with these tariffs. I'm guessing.
1: I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, wait. One more thing. I just thought of canned wine. Got got big canned wine and uh, and seltzer. Canned wine. I Hard believe. Seltzer. If
0: we, I don't have it now in front of me, but the top ten, uh, top ten values from the wine enthusiast, I believe wine number two was a bubbly in a can.
1: Oh, nice! Are you going to come out with your top 100 canned wines of 2019?
0: If I can find 100 different <laughs> cans, I would do that for sure. That would be a lot of fun to to taste those. But my top ten would all be with Andrew Jones, the uh, Sangiovese he did, which. Lovingly became nicknamed Cangiovese uh, At the store When we were selling it That I thought that was great Paso Robles San Giovese done Carbonic maceration um, That I I had so many
1: of those That was yeah. a really good one Do you think And I mean, of just, course Hans Gruner Of course Hans Gruner Yes You know I made my wife watch uh, Die Hard For the first time in her life Best Christmas movie ever That's right Greatest Christmas movie <laughs> of all time Right there I also decided It's kind of like a Harry Potter movie Basically Yeah you know, so, so Hans yeah, Ellen, Gruber,
0: right. Hans Gruber is the villain in Die Hard right. and Andrew Jones took a play off of his name and made a Gruner Veltliner from Paragon Vineyard in the Edna Valley and called it Hans Gruner, And it kind of had a picture of Hans Gruber on the can and, but the wine inside was even better than the
1: packaging. And that's what was so great about that. Like it was really legit. Great, great wine. Yeah. That was a fun one. D- d- delicious. So just uh, out of curiosity, <laughs> in your opinion, canned wines, trend or fad? Trend. Hard seltzer, trend or fad? Fad. All right. We're going to check back in late 2020, early 2021 to see how your predictions fared. <laughs> Somebody's got to write this <laughs> shit down though. <laughs> right. Oh, all right, Mike. You got anything else for us? That's it for this decade. All right. That is it. I think this will be out on, it'll be, will it be
0: 1-1-2020? 1-1. We're going to kick off the new year with the episode Wine Wednesday, January 1st.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, the decade is short. Get out there and drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at At That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram, at Vino Mike. And Pete. Is at Fatman Stories. Please subscribe to that wine pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. That wine pod is a production of Paragon Media.